0: What's going on, everybody? I'm Jeff St. Pierre, and this is episode 108 of the Adult Education Podcast. This week, I'm speaking with sleep expert Dr. Eric Prather. Thank you so much for checking out my show today. I really do appreciate you taking some time out of your day to listen to adult education. This show is all about learning new things or maybe learning more about some topics that you're already familiar with. I speak with experts across all fields to learn more about health, education, technology, mental health, and really just about anything that I find interesting. If you'd like to support adult education, the best way to do so is to leave a five-star rating on whatever platform you're listening on. And if you like what you hear, please share it with your friends. I love how word of mouth can inspire some new people to check out the show. Sharing means caring. Sleep, we all love it, right? But some of us just can never seem to get enough of it. Well, my friends, welcome to Sleeping 101. On this episode of Adult Education, I'm speaking with sleep expert Dr. Eric Prather. He's got a new book called The Sleep Prescription Seven Days to Unlocking Your Best Rest. Dr. Prather is a professor of psychiatry and behavioral sciences at UC San Francisco. He's been working for years trying to help people get more sleep and better sleep. Dr. Prather has taken this knowledge and put it together in a book with seven steps to help us get some of our sleep back. Until about three or four years ago, I honestly did not realize how important sleep was. I mean, sure, I love sleep, and without it, I know that I don't feel my best. But I wasn't aware of how much happens with your body and mental state if you don't get regular rest. Ever since learning more about it, I've been doing everything that I can to make sure that I'm getting that decent rest. But if you're like me and you've got a really strange work schedule, it's not always easy. And some of these steps outlined by Dr. Prather may be a little easier than others, but I do think they're all great advice for us to try to work on. In this conversation, we not only discuss things from his book, we also talk about the benefits and drawbacks of sleep aids, naps, and how sleeping always seems to be easier when you're single and unattached. Please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Eric Prather. Hello. How are you today?
1: I'm good. I'm good. How about yourself?
0: I am doing great. Thank you very much. I want to get this out of the way to start things off. I want to make sure I can pronounce your name correctly. Is it Arik Prather? It's Eric Prather. Eric Prather. Damn it. I was yeah. not close at all. But, all right. So it is so great to talk to you. I, I do want to ask you, did you voice the um, the audiobook for this? I did. Well, congratulations, because it sounds great. You have a very soothing voice for this project.
1: <laughs> it was Honestly, like one of the most exhausting things I've ever done. It was, it was really like, it was, I did it for the experience, but I don't know if I would re-up.
0: I can't even imagine doing it. Like I, I hear people talking about doing that. I'm like the, the slowness of the way that I read, I don't think I'd be able to get through the book in a timely (laughs) manner to even do that.
1: I mean, I basically like developed a speech impediment during it. (laughs) Like I was like, wow, I am just so bad at this. It's incredible.
0: Well, I mean this in the most complimentary way possible. I think that I could go to sleep listening to you, read your book. I just I felt so calm. i, I had this sense of calmness listening to the piece that I had. It was great,
1: I mean, yeah, it's a two for one, you know, and <laughs> just just that on its own can be the the treatment.
0: <laughs> well, we're going to be talking about sleep here because your new book is the Sleep Prescription: Seven Days to Unlocking Your Best Rest. Uh, I always say if I were single and not a parent, I'd probably get the best sleep of my life every night, but that's just not the reality for me.
1: No kidding. I get that.
0: <laughs> I also have a very weird schedule. So I, my primary job is a morning radio host. So I wake up for work at three o'clock in the morning every day and just trying to navigate some form of sleep schedule. is very difficult with that because if I were to try to get my, you know, so-called eight hours of sleep, I'd have to go to bed at seven o'clock at night. And that's just not realistic with a family and just the way that the world works so I've always found it so difficult or at least the last 15 16 years of my life to have that sort of normal sleep schedule.
1: Yeah. No, yeah, I mean, you know, and and those types of jobs that uh or you know, people that have shift work. Yeah. It's so challenging. And you know, honestly for it's not for most people it's not the type of schedule that they can keep long term because it really does cut into their ability to sleep and takes kind of some stamina. And I think, you know, people are kind of get out of the system because they just can't maintain it.
0: It's been something I've been working on. I went to see a doctor a few years ago, uh, integrative health doctor, and she did my, tested everything possible that we could possibly test. And cortisol was one of the things that came in. And my cortisol levels are so jacked around sideways. And her... Assumption or her belief in this is because of the schedule and because my sleep, like I'm waking up while people are usually sleeping, and it just kind of gets so thrown off throughout the day that that's been like a big struggle for me. And that's when I first realized how much our health is tied into the amount of sleep that we get as well.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, that, yeah. So, like that amount of sleep and kind of the changes in our circadian rhythm certainly are known to have effects on kind of long term health. I mean, I think it's pretty clear now that insufficient sleep. So this is like getting, you know, six or fewer hours a night on average is, is a risk factor for a whole host of negative health outcomes from cardiovascular disease to type two diabetes to kind of now growing evidence around kind of brain health and the development of neurodegenerative diseases. Um, and so, you know, it, it really underscores how important it is to try to protect our sleep. Obviously there are some jobs that necessitate short sleep, but, um, you know, that that just is, makes it more incumbent upon us to try to figure out ways to protect the sleep that we get.
0: All right. So I want to dive into the book here in a second, but I have another personal question about my my particular schedule. So to, to be at work on time, I have to leave the house at about 4 o'clock in the morning. So I wake up at 3 because I don't like to feel rushed. So I feel like if I get up at 3... Even though it's getting up you know, probably 45 minutes earlier than I need to, I don't have to scramble. I don't have to panic and rush to get out of the house. I can kind of wake up, let the dog out. If I want to make coffee or something, I can do that. I can check in on some things just to get the day started and just not feel that pressure. From your perspective, is that plan better or would it be smarter for me to get that extra 45 minutes of sleep and just kind of put the clothes on and roll out the door?
1: Yeah, that's, that's a really hard one. I mean, I think, you know, ideally it would be like, can we push that 45 minutes earlier in the evening so that you can get to bed sooner if in fact you want to kind of ensure that you have time to get up and, and get ready? Because, you know, obviously we we often sleep because we want to feel better during the day, right? Uh-huh. And so if that is is something that is important to you, then, um, you know, then then that's something you want to try to protect. But, you know, we would like to find maybe, maybe you meet in the middle, right? Maybe you do a little bit more planning um, in the evening so that you don't feel rushed. And, you know, maybe cut that down, that 45 minutes down to, you know, 25 minutes. So you get a little extra sleep. I mean, we certainly know that, um, especially under those short sleep schedules, a little bit more sleep can go a long way. Sure, And, and you know, so there, there's that. And then, and then the other question would be, you know, how do you, how do you, uh, manage your sleep on your days off, right? And do you give yourself ample time to try to make up that sleep debt? Um, you know, we know that people can't make it up entirely, there seems to be some kind of cost that accrues over time. But you know, if if you're in a position where your, necess- your job necessitates a short sleep schedule during the week, you know, it, it certainly makes sense to try to make up for that on the sleep side on the weekend or on your off days.
0: So that's a good way to lead into this next question because in the book you talk about people who think that sleeping in on the weekends is their way of making up on sleep, but it's actually not, not helpful to most people. But you know, you're, you're telling me that for, you know, for someone like me that gets a very limited amount of sleep throughout the week that, yeah, a couple extra hours can really help out the body on the weekend. But some folks that maybe normally get up at 6 or 7 on the weekdays but like to sleep in until 9 or 10 on Saturday or Sunday uh, kind of bless their hearts, but that's not actually helpful to them in the long run.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's something called social jet lag that we're learning more about. And that's kind of the the tendency to kind of have a certain schedule that's shorter on the weekdays and try to change that schedule on the weekends, staying out later, staying, you know, waking up later, um, trying to make up that sleep. And we know that that social jet lag, that timing change is also kind of a risk factor for some of these age-related conditions, independent of sleep amount. So there's something about both the amount of sleep that people get And the circadian timing. And, you know, I honestly don't have a great understanding about what exactly is going on, though we know that all of our organs and cells have kind of circadian clocks. And so the more that we kind of move those things around, you know, perhaps and make things less predictable, um, it seems like it, it does have a cumulative effect on our health.
0: Let's talk about naps for a second, too, because I feel like this is the age-old question, naps. Like, are they helpful? Are they harmful? I know for myself, and I do want to talk about this in a different way uh, with my next question, but for myself, I hit a huge wall at about noon every day. So you and I are actually talking at noon my time. So, you know, I'm battling through it because I'm really excited about this conversation. The second we hang up, my eyes are going to get heavy. My day is just going to be like, oh, my gosh, i got to do something with myself or I'm going to fall asleep. So a nap does often happen in my day uh, on a weekday, but is that good for me? Like, should I be looking to that or should I really try to power through it?
1: So that's a great point. And I actually uh, wanted to bring that up also, specifically in your case or in people that have jobs like yours, where a planned scheduled nap actually can be really helpful because when you don't have the opportunity for sleep, you really want to try to get it where you can. And so if you can do it in the context of a a short nap or a, a planned nap, that, you know, that probably puts you in a better position to try to make up some of that sleep that you're missing at night. So I think that's a that's a really important thing. Um, Are naps good or bad? I mean, again, it depends on the context, right? So, you know, if you can't get sleep otherwise, it's probably good. um, If you but it's also a symptom of potentially sleep deprivation, right? And so, you know, it it, your body's telling you something. Uh, Napping can really help with kind of increasing alertness, You know, it's, you know, sleep itself is important for memory and learning. And so, you know, planned naps can maybe help facilitate that. But um, also, if you have sleep problems, you have problems getting to sleep, staying asleep in the middle of the night, um, naps can certainly undermine that because it kind of steals away some of that sleep pressure that needs to build up across the day. To put you in a good position to fall asleep, so you know, on their own, they're not bad, but they can be a symptom, and they can also contribute to sleep problems at night,
0: sure, sure. it's something to keep in mind for sure. Um, the second wind, so I was just telling you about how my situation is around noon. a lot of people they talk about that sort of like two thirty three o'clock feeling when they're in the office, start to feel a little dragging towards the end of your day. but then it's like you get hit with some energy there before the day starts to wind down. Is the second wind real
1: so the the experience that people have kind of the midday, you know, at post lunch, kind of siesta time. that that really is in line with uh, a well-known circadian dip that people that humans have. Um, and so, you know, there, you know, I think of like the circadian system as kind of tracking alertness across the day. And so, you know, when you wake up, you usually are a little sluggish, your circadian system kind of like kicks in, and you get more alert. But then when you get to that mid afternoon, there is a dip in that alertness, which, you know, seems to be in line with when people want to take naps, when they feel that way, but then it kind of kicks back up. And so that, you know, that would explain kind of some of the the second wind that people experience. Uh, Maybe it's also you know, transitioning from the workday and moving into other things you want to sure. do and, and stuff like that. But uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, to the extent that there is a second wind, you know, it, it seems to be driven by the circadian system.
0: I know for me, when my toddler is napping, I'm starting to feel really tired. The second she wakes up, I'm good to go. And it's time to party. <laughs> right,
1: exactly. <laughs> nice that it works out that way. I know, I know it's perfect.
0: <laughs> so one of the examples you talk about in your book is a, a person that you worked with that for whatever reason, their internal body clock was kind of flip-flop from the rest of us. So normal people say they work the nine to five. This person, they wanted to sleep nine to five, and they wanted to be awake at night, even though they didn't really want to. That's what their body was telling them they had to do. And you had to work with this person to try to help them figure that out and get back into some sort of routine. So I mean, can can we restud ourselves? I mean, can we take the system that we're in and just start fresh, like work towards starting fresh?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's definitely things that we can do to try to manage it um, to some extent. I mean- some of the our circadian clock uh, and our tendency to want to be, say, an extreme night owl in that case, right, is is generally kind of genetically driven, right? Yeah. I mean, we can work on fixing those things, but um, you know, people are kind of always like swimming upstream sure. uh, to try and to try and manage that. And so, you know, in that case that you're mentioning, you know, the person ended up kind of. Selecting into a job that better suited their their uh, their circadian clock, right? Because it's not their fault. It's more like the world is not set up for people in that that have that kind of uh, rhythm. But I mean, you know, to the extent that we can do that, you know, one of the things that is so key to entraining our clocks is sunlight. And so, you know, we use a combination of sunlight and very low dose melatonin supplementation to try and shift people's rhythms around. And for some people, it's really effective. Um, but again, it's, if you stop doing it, you know, you run the risk of your genetics kind of driving you back in the, the preferred dir- direction. And also, you know, people have their own circadian preference, you know, some people love to stay up late, you know, others love to get up in the morning. Um, I'm, you know, I'm more of like a sunrise person, right? But some people are are really into kind of being out late at night. And, uh, and, and, you know, that that's also part of this.
0: Yeah, I definitely, you know, when parents will say to their kids, like, oh, someday you're going to have a child that's going to pay you back for all of this. I'm getting that right now because I was the kid that would be up at 4 o'clock in the morning trying to play with my toys when I was little and my parents are trying to sleep. And my daughter is now doing the same thing to me. So I'm definitely getting the payback that my parents warned me about. (laughs) <laughs> Lucky you. I, I mean, I guess in a way, given my normal schedule, it kind of works out okay. Like, sure, I'd like to sleep past five o'clock on a Saturday, but at the same time, if anyone's going to get it, I'm used to it. <laughs> <That's> it. <laughs> absolutely. I was reading somewhere else. You say you don't have a nighttime problem. You have a daytime problem. Can you explain that a little bit more? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think one of the
1: challenges generally around sleep and and kind of the culture is the tendency to leave sleep as the less, last thing on your list mm-hmm. Um, When the rest of the day is done, right? And our lives get really busy. I mean, you know, there's stress coming from all directions. There's lots of demands on our time. And, you know, we have lots of things we want to do. And so, you know, people will, you know, have a tendency to kind of use up all that time and then just want to flip the switch to go to sleep. Um, but that's that's not how it works, right? And so some people are kind of in a position where their life is just their daytime life is just not well managed, right? they They're trying to do too many things, and that's the reason why their sleep is so bad because they just can't figure you know they just have too many high demands and that's leaving kind of very little time for their sleep. And so, you know, though we can try to kind of improve people's sleep, we still need to make sure there's the opportunity to sleep. And so if your life is such that you have very little opportunity, but you need more sleep, we need to kind of figure out a plan to try to manage your life a little bit better so that, you know, you can let sleep take hold.
0: And a plan is basically what you lay out in this book. Again, the book is called The Sleep Prescription, Seven Days to Unlocking Your Best Rest. I know day one of the plan is uh, setting your internal clock. Let's start there and talk a little bit more about that.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, you know, the the, this book is kind of distills the principles of cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, which is kind of the first line treatment for insomnia. It's what we do in our clinic and at sleep clinics around the country. Um, And, you know, one of the places where we first start is kind of setting a stable wake up time for people. And this is seven days a week so that people can maintain uh, their, you know, help and train their circadian functioning. And it also sets in line your sleep drive that builds up across the day. And so, you know, we try to make things as predictable as possible. We can never promise what time people are going to fall asleep, but we can't control what time we wake up. And so that's just an important place to start. So we have like an anchor to move forward uh, to keep people's sleep better regulated.
0: I know day two is all about stress, and I, I do feel like that's a tough thing because, everybody deals with stress differently and it's kind of hard. Stress comes to me at different times during the day. So the idea of like sitting down and saying, okay, now is the time that I'm going to have my stress for the day. That's a difficult kind of thing to to navigate around, but that's something that you really suggest people should work on, like trying to find points in the day where you can say, okay, this is that point where I'm really going to think about things and I'm going to let this overwhelm me for a few minutes and then I'm going to get back into my daily routine.
1: Yeah. So it's, it, you know, it's a combination of kind of scheduling in your day some kind of micro breaks to kind of do something for yourself so that stress doesn't build up sure. throughout the day and kind of compound upon itself. But also, as you mentioned, um, you know we find that oftentimes people have sleep problems, like worries and stress kind of creeps into the night, right? And like, obviously, let, that's not the best time to be kind of solving the world's problems or kind of figuring out your finances or what have you. And so we try to help people schedule time in their day where they can actually just worry about things. And by just doing that practice and kind of scheduling it in kind of your, your daytime, it has less of a tendency to crop up at night. And if it does, you can say, well, look, I, I already kind of scheduled this in my day and I have it scheduled for tomorrow. Like I need to kind of compartmentalize that and worry about that then. Then, and what that seems to do over time is allow people to kind of let go to, to, to kind of not get wrapped up in, in those thoughts and allow them to get back to sleep.
0: It is the most frustrating thing in the world when you're trying to get sleep. And I'm sure that your your patients over the years express this. You're trying to get sleep. And the fact that you're not getting sleep is what's keeping you awake. Because you're so mad at yourself that you can't go to sleep. I had this happen last night. We've had an unusual heat wave in November. Our air conditioners are already out for the winter. You know, it's November. It shouldn't be 80 degrees outside, but it was. Our house was a little warmer than usual. And I was just so frustrated by every situation that I, you know, was up till 11 o'clock at night when I should be going to bed at like eight 30. And finally I did pass out, but God, that is, that is the most frustrating thing when you're like, I'm mad that I'm not sleeping and being mad that I'm not sleeping is what's keeping me from sleeping.
1: Absolutely. And I mean, you, in that instance, it's like a, you, you had like a double, a double hit, right? So we know that temperature sure. is actually a really important piece of, of the sleep environment. and And when it's hot, it's really hard for people to sleep but then yeah you know that frustration once you kind of get on that train it really is is hard to kind of calm back down and you know with people with insomnia it's not just frustration that they're not sleeping it becomes this fear yeah. that they're they're not going to be able to sleep again or like if they don't sleep x y and z is going to happen and when when you start getting to that mindset you know sleep becomes something that you feel like you're chasing yeah right but i always say that like you know sleep isn't something that you make happen right sleep is something that comes to you and it's kind of the absence of doing, like the more effort you put into it, the, the harder it gets, right? And yeah. and and you can kind of put yourself, set up your environment and set up these principles to uh, based on kind of how we know sleep is regulated, but, you know, and then allow it to happen naturally because oftentimes it's like us getting in our own way and it makes sense in the moment, but ultimately kind of under, undermines how sleep works.
0: I never got to a point of, say, insomnia. It was never that bad. But I I totally identify with what you were saying in that you just have this worry all day long, like, oh, am I actually going to get sleep tonight? Is it going to happen? Then you're stressing yourself out about getting sleep before you're even there. Uh, I had a doctor that actually suggested that I take more magnesium uh, and try melatonin, which has helped at times. And I know those things are not bad for you, but are they good for you? Like, are those things that people should rely on? You know, I mean I think
1: right so you know for some people magnesium seems to be helpful melatonin seems to be helpful um you know I mean I think you know we or you know our clinic and and kind of my work really relies on the randomized clinical trials like comparative placebo condition and and you know with melatonin in particular that it doesn't seem particularly efficacious for treating insomnia okay. though I I certainly you know know many people who say that, that it helps them but you know I think the the challenge is um, you know, those things, even though they aren't kind of physiologically addicting can become psychologically addicting, right? Sure. There becomes this thing where like, if I don't have this tonight, I won't be able to sleep. And once you start getting into that frame of mind, you know, that that particular battle of the night is lost in, in a lot of cases, like, you know, you begin to really second guess this idea that you you're, you can sleep normally, or that your sleep isn't broken. And that's a real challenge to get into, you know, I mean, I think there's a lot of ways to to help people. Kind of uh, have kind of the self efficacy or mastery over their sleep that doesn't require any kind of sleep aids. But, you know, I mean, certainly they're, they, because they exist, um, it's something that we deal with uh, kind of regularly in our clinic.
0: What you just said describes me so much because I cherish my moments of sleep so much that I do. I do worry about things like that. Like if I don't take, say, I, I take some magnesium three and eight before going to bed most nights. If I don't take it one night because I'm like, oh, I'm already so tired. I don't need it. I'll be fine. I think about it and I stay up and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I didn't take it. Is this going to work out for me? I really I got to go do it. I'll go take it. I'll go grab it before we go to sleep. Like it, just, it is such a weird thing. Like I cherish it so much that I want it so bad that sometimes I think I'm pushing myself away from it.
1: I mean, that's a I mean, that's a great way to describe it. And, you know, I mean, at least you get up and do it and just take it because that's what I tell people. I'm like, look, you know, you're going to take it anyway. You know, you might as well just get up and take it because, you know, ultimately you're going to you can't be checking in on yourself and to see if you need it and be sleeping. Right. And so, you know, nine out of ten times people like spend all this time trying to fight the idea that they're going to take something and then end up getting taking it anyway and have lost all that opportunity for sleep you know what we do in our clinic is we try to regulate people's sleep and then slowly slowly taper people off of whatever they're taking whether it's magnesium or not because the the kind of rebound insomnia that can happen by just not taking something is real yeah. right and that's hard and that you know I never want to put anybody through that and so you know we certainly do it kind of based on someone's psychological comfort of coming down on things right and even if it's like at a dose where we know that it doesn't even have a kind of a therapeutic effect, the the kind of psychological role that it plays in insomnia is so strong that just taking like a fraction seems to help. And then we kind of slowly wait until someone's ready to be off things completely. Because, you know, that 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 is, you know, that's a dependency. And, um, you know, thankfully, at least for magnesium, it's it's not something that is likely to have kind of a chronic sure that long term effect but you know for other things like we're learning more and more about kind of you know hardcore sleep drugs like ambien and others that you know may in fact over long term have impacts on our brain health and so maybe more of an urgency to help people get off of them
0: i've been so terrified of all those other you know more hardcore drugs if you will like ambien that i've stayed away from them thank goodness because i i do i do love my magnesium before bed i do feel like it gives me that sense <laughs> of like i'm going to be okay and i'm going to get some sleep tonight yeah. kind of thing yeah Um, so one thing that I didn't really think about, and I I wonder if a lot of other people are on the same page as me, I learned about this a couple of years ago, but just the sort of environment of going to bed is a really crucial aspect of getting sleep. And what do I mean by that? You talk about this in the book a little bit where you talk about, uh, how do you word it? Um, sleep hygiene, like the things that we should all be on the same page with. And you talk about, you know, a cool room, uh, you know, phones in the room, no, like, but I don't know if a lot of people think about that stuff. Like I think almost everybody's got a TV in their bedroom. Uh, I know my wife likes to go to sleep with the TV on much to my chagrin, but it's something that she likes and we, we deal with that. But I, I think a lot of people, they wind their day down and they go sit in bed and they look at their phone for a while. And as detrimental as it may be to our sleep, I, I don't, I just don't know if people understand how bad that can be for them. Yeah. I mean,
1: you know, I, th- I think importantly, you know, we really need to, and in- examine the sleep environment if you're having sleep problems, Yeah, right? Because there's lots of things like they go on. And and because our sleep can be so well regulated by the environment, um, you know, it can overcome lots of things, right? But if you have sleep problems, you really want to check it out. I mean, certainly there are things that everyone needs. So, you know, dark, quiet, cool seems to be the best. Um, But you know, these other things like phone in the bedroom, watching TV, that kind of clutters and kind of might confuse what the bed is for. Like, um, you know, people often like are working in bed, and it and it can really confuse the body of like, what I'm supposed to be doing? Am I supposed to be working and worrying about this email? Or should I be sleeping? Yeah. And, you know, if you have sleep problems, it can kind of spiral. Um, you know, using the phone in bed, I think, you know, so many people do that. You know, I've heard heard kind of statistics that like, you can get the the sleep duration of an entire population just by knowing when they put their phone down and when they picked it up in the last time in the morning just because people do that so regularly but um you know i if people are having sleep problems they really need to examine these things that they're doing because like that engagement in things like social media the internet email like it's rewarding it keeps you coming back and you know that makes it incompatible with sleep often and so you really want to kind of declutter the space make it a shrine to sleep if if you're having sleep problems
0: i remember i had a friend of mine many years ago say to me, I think I made a joke about how they didn't have a TV in the room. And I was like, who doesn't have a TV in their bedroom? And they were like, the bedroom should be for sleep and for sex. And that's it. Like, there's nothing else you should be doing in your bedroom. And looking back on it now, I'm like, man, this person really understood what this was all about way before the rest of us picked up on it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's absolutely right. I mean, you know, and and a lot of it has to do with the fact that, um, the bed itself is such a trigger for sleep. Yeah. Um, and, and it, it's like people get in bed and it, they feel sleepy, but the, the bed itself like acts like a hammer to kind of like, let your body know what's supposed to happen. And, w- and when you start kind of messing around with that and, and kind of adding a lot of other variables and other activities in there, it can kind of, kind of uh, fracture that, that relationship a little bit. It may cause some problems.
0: Something else you, you reference in the book and you do acknowledge that just the way life is for most people these days, it's difficult. To have, you know, the traditional sleep schedule, like if you went back a couple hundred years, it was you go to bed when the sun goes down, you wake up when the sun comes up. It's just not really feasible for most people these days, the way the world works, the way we all work, the way the jobs are and things. But winding down is an important part to the day. And that also, I find, must be a really big challenge for folks. I look at my wife as an example. When she gets home from work, we basically, uh, she walks in the door, we have dinner, we have some playtime with our toddler, the toddler goes to bed, and it now is her opportunity to catch up on the day. You know, if there's something that she wanted to look, say, on social media to see what her friends have been up to, or if there's a TV show that we're trying to catch up on, that's when it happens. But that's happening at 7, 730 at night, when realistically, given our schedules, we should be winding down which you say should be about two hours before you go to bed. But like that's sometimes it's the only time of the day that you have to do anything for yourself. You know, it's so hard.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, you're, you're, you're not wrong. And I think everyone, everyone feels that I think, you know one way in which you you know maybe address this is making some of these activities part of the wind down right so even just kind of like dimming the lights and kind of getting yourself in you know your pajamas and kind of and watching that show that you've been wanting to catch up on can be something that can contribute to that wind down i mean obviously we all have kind of you know obligations when we get home and and some are uh, take longer than others and and we just have to manage the best we can i mean this book is you know really about kind of hope and trying to figure out ways in which to manage this, because honestly, like we all have bad nights, but that doesn't mean that we have to have chronically bad sleep. And and we're really resilient to these things. And, um, you know, as long as we put these principles in place, then we can kind of let our our body do what it's it's kind of built to do, which is to sleep.
0: I do love that about your book. It's not a shaming thing. You're not telling people how much things, how many things they're doing wrong. You're just telling people, here are some ways that we can do things a little bit better. And I do like that a lot. The book is called The Sleep Prescription, Seven Days to Unlocking Your Best Rest. If people want to find out more about you, follow along, or learn more, where should they go?
1: Sure. I mean, you can check it out. Check me out at uh, ericprather.com. That's like my lab website and book website. Um, you can find the book kind of any place where you find books generally. And so, yeah, I mean, you know, the internet is a, is a vast place. So just look me up, uh, reach out. I'm always happy to chat with anyone.
0: Well, Dr. Eric Prather, I really appreciate your time. Seriously. a uh, great book, great piece of work. I've really enjoyed reading it. And I'm hoping to put a few more of these things into my daily rituals to try to make things happen a little bit better. So I appreciate you. Thank you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, try to grab that nap.
0: Yes. Now. Yeah. I think I've got a little more time before she wakes up. I think I should be good. <laughs> All
1: right. Thanks
0: a lot. All right. Take care. Thank you. Big thank you to Dr. Eric Prather for his time today. I hope you were able to take some advice and motivation from some of the things that we talked about today. His book, The Sleep Prescription, Seven Days to Unlocking Your Best Rest, is available now wherever you get your books. And thank you to all of you for checking out the Adult Education Podcast. I really appreciate it more than you will ever know. Until next time, be well.